What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I am your host, Brett McGrath. Fired up for this conversation. I got Benjamin Elias, who runs Growth at Podia on the program today. I really enjoy his newsletter. I enjoy his posts on LinkedIn, what he puts out there. Really bright guy. He's been in a content role at over at Active Campaign, transitioned into a growth role. He talks about how everything we're doing in marketing needs to be aligned and it's always aligned around growth. Tons of applications, tons of stories, really good conversation. Excited for you to hear this. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, all the buttons. Most importantly, tell a damn friend you're enjoying Modern Day Marketer. Without further ado, let's do this. Let's kick into the conversation. What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I am excited for this conversation. Um, This is going to be fun. We're going to be talking about a goal that we all have as marketers, and that is growth. I'm joined by Benjamin Elias, who is the director of growth at Podia. He has a ton of experience on the content side and the growth side. So subject matter expert that can be brought in to talk to us about things that we can be thinking about on the growth side, how content relates, and maybe share some use cases as well. So Without further ado, Benjamin, welcome. How are you? I am. I always say I'm living the dream, and that can mean anything, all kinds of dreams, right? But it's a good one today. I'm living the dream. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I always appreciate that. Before we jump in, for anyone who's unfamiliar, maybe just like talk a little bit about Podia, you know, who you are, what you do, and your role with inside the business. Totally. Podia is an all-in-one platform for creators. So we give people the tools they need to make money online and specifically through their relationships with their audience or their customers. So that means uh, it start really started with online courses. It started with uh, people have this audience and they have this expertise and they create a course and they sell the course. And from there, it's really expanded. And we now give people the ability to sell webinars or coaching sessions and consultations. You can make a full website in Podia. You can host a community and either charge for access to different tiers of it and bundle that with different rewards or have it completely free and open. There's really a ton. You can even send emails, uh, use it as an ESP. We also recently came out with our free plan. So uh, anyone can make a completely free website on Podia, sell a a downloadable product and start a community for free on Podia, just at podia.com. It sounds like a a pretty helpful and useful platform, especially with just the the rise of the individual creator inside B2B and outside Mm -hmm. everywhere you go. Um, So I would imagine just kind of in your role and and probably in other marketing roles, you're getting to work and meet some pretty amazing content creators that are using your platform and you're probably helping them uh, make their lives a lot easier. It's really interesting the first thing I did when I joined Podia was schedule calls with folks and do this as like in-depth customer research. So I'm scheduling the calls, I'm doing a particular type of interview format, transcribing the interviews, I'm going through the interviews and pulling out the specific quotes, categorizing them, all of that kind of stuff. And there were a lot of interesting things I learned as part of that process. One of the most interesting was that I didn't talk to two creators who were doing anything close to the same thing. I had a fitness instructor. I had uh, someone who taught about uh, it's living lean, uh, living lux on a lean budget. Uh, I had someone who did HR analytics, selling courses about that. There are 
uh, musicians and piano teachers. There are all sorts of different uh, types of folks on Podia. Uh, one of the challenges, and this ties probably into our conversation, is you have people who are across all sorts of industries. So on like the traditional quote B2B sign up thing where they ask where we ask what industry they're in, that's not really super useful information for us because it's a amazing breadth of things. I, I'm just like thinking of other examples. Like we have uh, nutritionists, we have someone who teaches how to make very well decorated cookies. Like there it's what is the what does that survey form tell you? And what we really needed to do was uh understand people based on their job to be done, which part of this research was geared towards. And then uh, based on like, where are their audiences and how do they decide to monetize? Like there's a huge difference between someone who as as an example of the HR analytics person has this incredible depth of experience in a really niche topic that you can charge a lot, right? People who buy this type of stuff are buying it professionally uh, versus someone who has a huge audience on YouTube and you know maybe they post this is a I have an example in my head maybe they have a video that's got 2.7 million views and you know thousands and thousands of subscribers uh, they're not selling multi thousand dollar products they are selling downloads that uh, are upsells from their videos or they're selling they have a community that they charge for access to like the the you could call them personas but the types of creators we have on the platform are really different from each other and that's been one of our interesting challenges especially as more and more creators into the market and it's easier than ever to become a creator. Do you think anything just based on your research and just how uh, I'm like, I am drawn to the, like the, the industry piece doesn't really matter based on who, who we're trying to reach and how we're trying to reach them. Do you think anything that you've learned based on your experience at Podia, just on the growth side, will, will kind of translate to what, other businesses that don't necessarily service the creator, but mm-hmm. what other businesses, how they might reach the individual through, you know, marketing campaigns and that sort of thing down the road. I tend to think much more in terms of jobs to be done. And I'll say use cases with like major caveats, but that's like patterns in the product of behavior. And that to me tends to be, there are exceptions, but tends to be more useful than more surface level demographics or firmographics because it's how people are actually interacting with you. When, again, there are exceptions. Like uh, if I talk to someone who works at a platform that helps people do event planning, everything is within a narrower field of events. And uh, you can maybe use the type of event or the situation like, okay, I don't know, wedding planners as an example. That's a pretty distinct type of event compared to the type of thing that you'd see in a, in the conference room at a hotel. Um, so you can learn something if you are in a field that has those clear delineations. But if I ask someone, what industry are you in? And they say uh, exercise fitness, or they say business marketing, I don't know what that means practically in terms of how they're using mm-hmm. our product. So it's not that useful of a question for me to have the answer to. So I think that's, that's uh, I, and I always, when I'm thinking about research, what decisions am I going to make based on this research or how will this research inform future decisions? And if I don't have a good answer to that question, I have to come up with better questions. I love that. And that's a, maybe a good segue into the topic. I, I think maybe just to like let the audience know, I as we met and I understood your background, time spent in content, time spent in growth, my mindset immediately went to like, how can 
I pull as much information as possible to learn from someone who has spent time in both disciplines and how those disciplines align and drive more growth for the businesses that, you know, he's been a part of. And I think you, you said something that I saw and was like, this is really good and maybe can be a a jump off point for the conversation. But it was just like, you said you've kind of, in our exchange, you've always kind of found like the term growth to be kind of a, a funny, silly branded discipline. Mm-hmm. And us as marketers, <laughs> like, shouldn't we, shouldn't we all be like kind of drive to driving towards growth? So maybe like unpack that a little bit, because I think that'll be a good kind of launching off point into this chat. Yeah. Some of this is maybe like semantic and a little pedantic on my part. Um, I, I have said like tongue in cheek, like if, if you hired a content marketer and someone said to you, all right, you can hire this content marketer, but you're not allowed to get any growth out of them. Like, what does that even mean? Like, I want a demand gen person, but no growth. They don't give you growth. That doesn't really make any sense. Uh, um, We have come to use growth as the name of a discipline. And sort of it means specific things. On the marketing side, it often tends to mean paid and demand gen and that type of stuff. And on the product side, it tends to mean like product like growth and testing, optimization, all that kind of stuff. But the, the label for it is just growth. And really, everyone should be thinking, how are we going to make this business more successful? And that to me is a lot of the reason that I, I wound up making the transition from a content titled role to a growth titled role is that even when I was on the content side, I was always thinking like, how does this tie back to how the business makes money? And if I'm deciding what to do as a content marketer or as anyone in a business, I need to be thinking, what is the model of this business? Where are the limiting steps? Where do we get new people? Where do they drop off? What do they need to know to be successful with our product? Those types of things are things that you can tackle from any sort of discipline. And if you're not thinking about it, there are, I think, two problems caused with that. One, if you're not thinking about how to grow, your growth is going to be incidental, right? Like you, you can still be successful following some principles. Like, okay, I'm not, maybe I'm not thinking about how to grow as a content marketer or how to grow as the, biz- the business as a content marketer, but I'm thinking a ton about how we serve our audience and what they need to know and how they think about things and the language they use. I could do okay like that, probably. I will probably miss some things related to distribution. I'll probably miss some topics that are more important to the business versus the customer and that type of thing. But I'm following a useful principle and and maybe I'm still really good at my work. And it's really the missed opportunity on the execution side and the missed opportunity inside the business that I think uh, are the, the main drawbacks of not thinking this way. And what I mean by that inside the business piece is you need something to coordinate these various teams that all have their own demands on their time, that all have their own subject matter expertise, that all have their own concerns and like things that are stressing them that maybe have nothing to do with the things that are stressing other teams. If you go, and everyone I think has experienced this if they work in an org of any size, someone comes to you with asking for something for for you or your team and you're like, do I really have to do this? Like, really, do I have to? And there's something wrong there, right? Like it doesn't mean like your business is going to fail if that happens, but something is missing because someone feels like they need something to be successful and you don't feel that way. 
maybe they're wrong about what they need. Maybe they've jumped to uh, asking for a specific thing and try, instead of trying to address a problem, but there's some sort of misalignment or problem with that. In the same way, I hear people all the time in content ask like, how do I get buy-in for content? How do I... Sometimes they'll ask it as, how do you do your content reporting or attribution? And all of those questions I think are the same, which is I'm not getting what I need to do my work or what I think I need to do my work really well. And the position of content in different orgs is different, but a lot of the time that's because you're not telling a story about how content is going to affect the growth of a business. Someone who I really uh, respect on this front is Jimmy Daly. Mm. Everyone in content knows Jimmy. And one of the really smart things he says in the paid Superpath community, so everyone should go there to Superpath, join the community, and then pay for it uh, because he has some good material in there, is you need a story. The numbers are not enough because you're going to have down months or down periods or periods where you didn't hit whatever aggressive growth target. You need a story about why what you're doing affects the business as a whole and then people can buy into that story. I have lots of thoughts about internal marketing like this and other ways that you can be, uh, quote, getting buy-in, which is not tends to be, that doesn't tend to be how I think about it. But all of it is, if you can show that you are thinking about growth and pointing everyone in the same direction towards the success of the business, you're going to have better ideas. You're going to be able to work across disciplines more easily. And uh, you're just going to grow better. You're going to be more successful. I don't think anyone on this show has organically been plugged more than Jimmy. So Jimmy, (laughs) there's another one for you. And this go, Hey, everyone go sign up for super path and pay for it. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of content marketers listen to this show. And I think I I would be curious to kind of dive into a little bit of what you talked about just with your background and content content. And I think so often we get wrapped up into like this, content factory, publish, 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 Mm -hmm. publish. And Mm -hmm. we're just in this silo, but uh, you kind of recommended this mentality on like, okay, like everything you're doing on the content side, make sure that it's intentional. You're going after Mm -hmm. the audience that is a good fit for your product. So maybe like, like, what are some things like why, why when you spent time in content, like what were some things that or maybe some like next level tactics and things that you did that so it didn't feel like you were just working in kind of a content factory, but you were being really intentional with everything you did on the content side. Mm-hmm. So there were a few phases of of this, and and some of this response to the organization of the company. So for a little while in content, we were really working in that you call it a content factory, and it's not. I think I think that's a fair phrase. Um, we were really working to grow uh, organic uh, search traffic over time. And we were very successful at that. We went from 8,000 visitors a month when I started working on it to 250,000 uh, when I left. And uh, really, like we stopped in being in production mode for that content around 120,000. Everything after that was the fruits of our labor because um, we had put our, our focus on some other things. And even with that, I'm going to undercut this point in a little bit, but um, even with that, like it, telling the story was the big thing. Mm. I was able to get the resources for uh, expanding that content team because I was able to point to, look, here are the results that we've gotten so far. We've gone from at the time, 8,000 or so to 24,000 or so, which is already a pretty good increase. 
And I could tell this story. Uh, I could say, all right, here's what we're going to do. Here's why it's going to work. Here's why we are going to be successful at it and why not everyone is capable of doing this. And then here's what it takes. And because I was able to, I, I still have the deck somewhere. I was able to say, look, this is how Google uh, ranks stuff in a, and how we are going to use semantic search, how we're going to look at searcher intent and how we're going to really deconstruct what we're writing about and targeting like those not super competitive and not crazy high volume, but medium volume keywords that we think we can get to rank for a ton of stuff. Um, we're just going to scoop up a lot of traffic that no one is hunting versus like trying to rank for email marketing or marketing automation. And then from there, it was a lot of uh, making sure that the content was very good. And I think this is cliched uh, at this point, but you can think about it at multiple levels. And we tried to go go deeper on what people would come away with from the content with. There's a lot of stuff in search that it's just hard to write good content for stuff when uh, when the intent is a certain way. There's a lot of listicle intent and you Google something and <laughs> just get like 14 ways to do whatever. And most of those articles are bad. People don't actually need 14 ways to do whatever, but it's what they click on. So Google shows it there. And I always said to folks, we can give people what they are quote looking for in terms of searcher intent, but we have to like, it's like, you know, putting a, putting a pill in the cheese for, for dog or whatever. Uh, you have to like make it still useful. Uh, some of the things that I would tell folks are, You've got to lay it out step by step for people. You have to give recommendations, not just lists. You have to say this applies to you if this is true, mm -hmm. not true. I, I mean, I ran weekly trainings for a while on on how we would do this stuff as a writing team, and was a pretty intense editor. The result of that was like one of our most successful posts, and this was true for a number of them. But one of our posts that I think still ranks really well was about welcome emails. Super relevant to Active Campaign. We used it in a bunch of our onboarding. We used it for our sales team and, and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, it was actually our most successful lead magnet too. It was a public post, search optimized, we turned it into a PDF, put it up as the lead magnet on all sorts of other posts, converted at like 3% or whatever to uh, lead. And that thing brought in a ton of search traffic and was like regularly shared. And I still get tagged sometimes when it gets shared from people who are like, this is it, like this is the stuff. Uh, it goes through exactly what, uh, a, a recommended welcome email sequence should be, and uh, why, and 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 all of the different contingencies and stuff like that. You know, I wrote that a while ago, so now I now that I'm talking about, it, I'm sure there's stuff that I go back and change. But you go just like levels deeper, like you look for underlying fundamental principles of how your channel works, and then you uh, look to make it more successful there. And that's how we approach the factory aspect of that. So I was able to say pretty consistently to the team, like the broader marketing team. We said we were going to grow 15% month over month. We actually grew 22% 20, 20, last month. We actually grew 20% last month. We've grown this percent since whatever, June. And we just kept seeing that success as a result of the like very measured approach we took to we're not going to compete on anything that's super hard to compete for. We're going to look for stuff that is low to medium volume, but also low competitiveness. And then we're going to absolutely knock it out of the park on the type of content we make. Uh, I, I know that there are places that, you know, writers publish whatever, three posts a week. And we always said uh, my, my target for publishing was one post per writer per week, but the posts were two to 4,000 words, um, super detailed. Not all of that is going to be amazing today. This is like four years ago that we're thinking about, but the principle is the same. Like look for the thing that's going to be really successful in your channel or not competitive. 
and then find that that spot where you can insert your uh, competitive advantage. That was that was sort of that aspect of content. And then we started to shift as the teams. This was at Active Campaign. As the teams realigned, we brought in a new uh, CMO. We uh, were able to coordinate more across teams. We started to shift towards more coordinated integrated marketing, and that meant we were able to do projects that had longer lead time. A good example of that is uh, the automations marketplace on Active Campaign. So Active Campaign has a feature where you can import an automation, it makes it much easier to get started. Uh, they're called recipes, automation recipes. So you can import a recipe and you can share recipes. You can post recipes on the marketplace. It, it is a element of the product that makes the product a lot easier to use and gives you ideas, even if you don't actually import the recipe. We had this functionality, but there really was not a lot to surface it to people, to show it to people. And we saw this opportunity. Someone on my team uh, was building out automation recipes at a really impressive clip. We started with 50. And by the time I left, we were over 500. And uh, we built out pages for every single automation recipe, put them in the automation recipes marketplace. Eventually, uh, and I think this is true now, definitely, we, the marketplace was linked together. So it's the apps marketplace, the certified consultant marketplace, the uh, free tools and templates marketplace, like all that is under one umbrella. And we were able to launch that. Uh, we saw when we launched it, we used the the momentum of that launch to get a little bit of uh, UX changed in the product also. And we saw the import rate go from like 15% to 60% for the recipes. We launched the thing and you know we've got 500 new pages ranking. We see traffic go way up. That element of the platform started to appear in MPS responses, things like that. Like there were all these, these really positive indicators that people were starting to use recipes way more. And that idea of building to a really big launch is how I start to think more about marketing and growth now, where a launch like that lets you do things that you can never do otherwise. Had I gone to whatever product manager at Active Campaign and said, hey, we want to change this part of the app, they would have been like, why are you? No. Like, what are you talking about? That would have been exactly that example of someone coming to you with something that you felt was stupid. Uh, but when it's couched as, hey, we're going to launch this automation recipes marketplace, we're going to launch this huge campaign and drive everyone into this element of the product. And this thing does not work the way that you probably want it to work for all of that volume that's coming in. Now we can actually get that thing done. Same thing when I was talking about buy-in, <clears throat> you have to be able to tell a story about something. And things that make really good stories are stuff that's going to stick in someone's head and that they can remember. And the CMO at Active Campaign, this is essentially who I learned this from. And she would say, like, what could you tell your parents at Thanksgiving that you had done? Are you going to show them a screenshot of Google Analytics? I don't think so, right? Like, that's not going to do it. But hey, we launched this huge marketplace thing. I mean, my parents are still not going to get that one. But it's, it's more of a concrete thing that gets stuck in people's head. There are downsides to major launches. And it tends to be that they go from zero to a thousand back to zero. That's why people don't do them necessarily. There are a lot of reasons people don't do them, but that's one of the downsides. So you have to make sure that you use the launch as a, as a means to getting some of the evergreen things done also. So if I'm going to do a huge launch, and I have examples of this from Podia, uh, in fact, we have something coming up next week. If I'm going to do a huge launch of, of a program, I want to make sure that the launch is as big as possible, but I need to make sure it filters through all the other stuff. In the case, I'll just spill the beans. I don't know when this is coming out, but it doesn't really matter. 
we have done a ranking of companies, creator companies, by how friendly they are to creators, mm-hmm. how favorable are their policies. We we ranked them across 20 different criteria, all of which are you can see on the microsite that we made. I, I think there are fair rankings. Podia ranks pretty well, but that's because we think about this a lot. And we're using this to tell this story of creator friendliness. We want people to start thinking about this when they're making their decisions because people wind up in bad situations. We have a product that competes really well feature to feature with something like Patreon. but And we've had people move over from Patreon. Uh, we've had people choose us instead of Patreon. It's hard to migrate. Right, people wind up stuck in the ecosystem. It's like, oh, I can't move my content. I can't move my subscriptions. I don't like. I I don't love that. I can't stop paying them this huge transaction fees. It's not like Patreon's doing anything more for me. Um, same would be true of Substack or Gumroad or anyone who takes a transaction fee forever and there's no way to get rid of it. And we want people to think about that stuff before they make decisions. So we we've put together this whole ranking of companies, and now we start to use it in other ways. It's going to go across all of our comparison pages. Right. If you have Podia versus whatever, you'll see the creator friendliness scores. We're going to use it with our affiliates. Um, we want our affiliates to start talking about this. Lots of those people do reviews. Uh, it's going to be it, we use this launch to get time with our CEO to talk about what it means to be friendly to creators. It gives us a forum to talk about some specific elements of products like transaction fees, like owning your audience that are super important for creators. So we tie these things all together so that we don't have to go to our CEO and say, hey, can we get some time to talk about some random thing that we'll publish on a blog post that's not connected to anything? He might say yes, because he's great, but it it's, feels better if it's part of this larger campaign. I've talked for a long time, but um, that's that's how I think about a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So a ton of information shared there. And I'm just listening to you talk, all that was going on in my head, especially we were talking about the active campaign example was the, a lot of what you were doing and how, so you're talking about communication, internal comms. So like you're talking mm-hmm. about some, you know, operational stuff uh, and reporting, you're talking about content. You're t- certainly talking about growth slash demand mm-hmm. gen. So it's like you, just in your storytelling of what you did at active campaign, you, you were hitting on all of these, while you might not have been in the, in the function of all of those roles, you talked about how you kind of took pieces from all of those mm-hmm. roles in order to kind of get where you wanted to go with whatever your initiative was and align it with business goals and objectives, which I think that's what I heard. And I think that's really smart and probably how we should all think about, think, think as marketing, as marketers. Do, now the, to the transition to Podia in the transition formally as growth, do you think that mentality of like, I'm just going to constantly be a learner, I'm going to constantly be not just thinking siloed in my individual mm-hmm. function, but do you think like what you did on the active campaign side, especially in those examples you just shared, made like that transition into a more formal growth role at Podia more seamless than it would have been if you were, you know, just thinking about content marketing all day? Yeah. So at Active Campaign, I got the chance to like, lead a lot of different functions. We were growing so quickly, we were reorging, we were bringing in new leadership, uh, like at the VP of marketing level and and that type of uh, restructuring often. So while I was there, I started out in content and then I, I, I kept content the whole time, but I started to take on pieces of product marketing and lifecycle. I started to, for a little bit, I, I managed the website. I had a hand in PR and social and community. I'm, I always forget. <laughs> um, I mean, I wrote cold emails. I was like 
was doing most functions or involved in most things to some degree. Like I never actually managed paid, but I would do projections or um, some analysis of, of our paid across regions and things like that. Uh, so I, I was set up really nicely to, tr- and, and towards the like last three months of active campaign, my title switched to growth to better reflect the work that I was doing. So I was set up nicely to, to come into Podia and do quote growth, which is like all of it sort of, I think what served me really well was that lesson. So I, I mentioned the CMO at active campaign, Maria Pergolino, and she really did teach me this. It's something I had to come around on the big moments driving towards the long-term improvements, things that stick in people's head, things that make it easier to rally resources around stuff, things that make it easier to rally your own team around a deadline. Um, because you have, you, you know, you got something coming, you got a big campaign coming, you got to get stuff in place for it. And that style of thinking, once you start thinking that way, you start to see, I think, opportunities that are not traditional. Something I see from a lot of folks in SaaS when I talk to them, they're like, oh yeah, here's how we approach our OKRs. And it's some sort of channel split. So we're looking for X leads for this channel, X for this, X for this, X for this, X for this. You are going to struggle to work across teams towards large campaigns if you put too much weight on that type of reporting and performance. Because if I go to you and ask for something, it is taking leads away from you, right? You are incentivized to stay in your lane if you really have to hit your number. So you tend to not come up with the creative ideas in the same way. An example from Podia, one that we did in, around May was uh, we knew that we wanted to get more attention potentially, uh, or just have better relationships with people who have audiences. And we could break that out into a few categories, but it includes people like journalists, it, like uh, tech reviewers, people who, there are a ton of people who teach you how to run a creator business, those types of folks as well. And we also knew that we hated sending out 100 cold emails one at a time and not getting any response to them. Uh, I've done that a whole lot in the past uh, for journalists, especially, and it never seems to pay off that well. We also knew we didn't want to do press releases that felt stupid. And I don't like why did press releases still exist for startups? Like it doesn't, doesn't seem like the thing that drives the needle. Um, There it's a tool that has its own use, but uh, not, not, it's not always used for that use. So instead of, doing all this cold outreach, we were like, what if we create an award for these types of people? We create the Creator Economy Award for people who are helping to advance the creator economy because they are, they write about this stuff, they teach people how to do it, teach people how to choose platforms, and we just give them the award. And we're not asking for anything, but we are going to get a response in the email. And the next time we need to follow up with them, um, we'll respond in that same thread. They'll at least see it because it's an ongoing conversation. And um, we can use that as the forum to share our customer stories or the types of thing or the creator friendliness uh, rankings, like the types of things that they might pay attention to for a story or an inclusion in a story at some point. Uh, and we saw with that, we nominated 80 people and 70% responded to the emails. 70%? I've never had 70% respond to a cold email. Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. And we, you know, we, now we have this group of people that we get to email whenever we have something like this to talk about. So finding this like, when you have the different disciplines in front of you and you can think, how do I use these tools to get to this end state? And you're not limited by, and I need this many leads in the next week. You can start to find these, these different angles, these twists, these slants, these opportunities that are not really the type of thing people talk about for an individual channel, but can be really successful if you, if you think through it in a different way. 
So I, one of the things I want to make sure you kind of get feedback on, because when we when we had our intro call, I like took a note on this because I thought, oh, this would be good because there's a lot of people who listen to this show who are in this spot and they want to move to another spot. But you said like a key way to elevate your career and move kind of from that like manager to director level is mm-hmm. kind of what you've been talking about, but just like understanding the gaps in the business and figuring out how you and your role can, you know, Mm. either individually plug those gaps or rally with resources to do that. Maybe like shed some light on that, because I think a lot of people like oftentimes like just feel stuck in what they're doing and aren't really sure like how, especially in maybe even a virtual environment, how do I um, make sure that I'm getting in front of the right people and I'm making sure that I'm hitting my goals and Mm. I'm the one who are, who's thought of for that director role when it becomes available. Yeah. So I, I, in some ways, I read a whole newsletter about this, uh, Diamond Pencils, diamondpencils.substack.com, that is all about soft skills. It's the name Diamond Pencils is because uh, people talk about hard skills all the time. And a lot of what you'll see is about hard skills and like, oh, how do I do this really cool thing with analytics or connect these eight platforms to do something really cool and that kind of stuff. And it's not the, the, that will get you a job. It will not move you up the ladder all that well. Take soft skills. So Diamond Pencil. Diamond is valuable and hard, and it will tear your notebook to shreds. Uh, a graphite pencil, you know, you can actually write with. I have a, a piece on there that's titled uh, Stop Thinking with Your Tool. And it's because if you are thinking only from your discipline, you're going to really struggle. You don't get from manager to director by being better at the things you're managing. You do it by doing new things. Mm-hmm. And it's probably going to mean if you're a content manager and you're trying to move to content director, you probably don't get a whole lot better at content marketing to move from manager to director. You prob- you, there are things that you'll improve at, but what you probably get better at is coordinating content marketing within an organization and incorporating it into the other things. So if I'm a content manager, I need to be really concerned about uh, what we're producing, making sure it's high quality, and maybe thinking about how we distribute it. If I'm a content director, I really need to be thinking about how it's coordinated with with our lifecycle marketing, how it's fueling our demand gen, how if we have a sales team, how we're feeding it to those people, right? Like I need to be thinking more about the organization. Maybe I need to be thinking about uh, not about content or about how content supports a larger campaign. I have an example from Podia where we ran a, a creator fellowship. And the insight here was that we could actually just give people money. There's nothing stopping us from doing that. And for our particular audience, which is almost entirely funded out of their own pockets, just getting a couple thousand dollars is huge. There's so much they could do with that. So let's do it. Let's give it away. We will probably get more out of that as Podia than we would you know, giving it to Google to to spend on search ads. So we we did it. We gave away $2,022 to make 2022 the best year yet. And we had this application for it because of course we need a way to pick the winner. In the application, we had about 20 minutes of questions. So it, it served as a way to get information about the creators, but also as research for us. Um, we got to learn a lot more about what people struggled with and that type of thing. About 950 people filled this out. Uh, about 220 submitted actual video content about why they should be uh, the winner. And 150 gave us permission to use that in our marketing. We were able to repurpose the survey results into 
uh, actual content. Like we could, we did a few videos about what we learned from that. We, we wrote up a few things about that. We, there's so much stuff that went into this. I'm trying to keep track of it all. Right. Uh, we, uh, we wanted to have runners up, right. Spread the love a little bit more, but, um, we didn't want to split the prize pool. We felt it was important to give away a full $2,000 to someone. So we actually went to some of our more successful creators who did this type of content, people like um, Dickie Bush, Ship 30 for 30, like that type of person. Um, and they agreed, uh, five of them agreed to give away a seat in their course to uh, one of the runners up. So we now have five runners up. Uh, this also gave us five plus one, six people that we could do creator stories about. Um, and a really good way to promote those creator stories because now it's not like, oh, here's this random creator that I've never heard of. It's like, oh, the winner of the fellowship that I remember applying for who won of over 950 applicants has a story. I should probably read this story, right? We actually announced the winner of the fellowship live on a call with another one of our really successful creators who um, we wanted to do a creator story with already. And again, Instead of just randomly doing a story with them and announcing it, uh, this is Kay He of Rad Reads. We were able to say, you are going to win this uh, prize pool and you'll get a coaching session with Kay. And Kay is the person who's going to announce the winner. And by the way, here's a story about Kay. Here's his whole deal. And this is the story that we've done. There's a lot of content in that. There are multiple blog posts, videos that can, uh, come out of the research. There and we're still referencing the stats from that research and lots of other content that we do. There are multiple creator stories. We actually are, are working with some of the people who were runners up and winners to uh, be part of our community and take a more active role in that. There's all sorts of connections and content that comes out of that. That is not a content first campaign. That didn't start from, we want all this content. That started from this other insight of, oh, we could actually run this fellowship and that would be really cool for our creators and for us. So if you're thinking too much with your tool, as I, you know, click baby uh, headline there, um, if you're thinking with your discipline, you're not going to come up with that type of idea. It's by tying in multiple disciplines and figuring out what's going to make a program really successful that uh, you can start to make this jump from manager to director. Um, there's a lot of other stuff that I've written about there, uh, how you communicate through an org. I can elaborate on any parts of that, proposing things that tie into what your manager or your boss cares about. I, I hear people often, uh, there's a specific example actually in that particular article that is someone who comes in as a content manager and, and says, hold everything, we've got to do a style guide, right? And I'm not going to say that a style guide is not a thing that's useful to content, but it's useful to content, right? It's not all that useful to the rest of the organization. And if you say, let's pump the brakes on everything until we have this style guide ready, um, that, that's not a pitch that's setting you up for success. Similar, like that same person was then going to their manager and being like, we got to do these research reports. And their manager is thinking, I need a thousand MQLs this quarter, right? Like connect the dots for me, right? I got to think about this in a different way. I can't think of it uh, as content first. There's uh, so much good information and nuggets that you shared. Maybe we close out with this one. I can tell just by listening to you talk about what you do that there you there's a progression to your career and you're very intentional with the moves you make and how you work inside of the businesses you've supported. Mm -hmm. What, what is, I guess, and I'm sure anyone listening can benefit from this, but what is one thing that you like one operating principle or thing that you do now that you wish you would have 
adopted or learned, you know, years earlier? I'm always thinking about the offer. And that that phrasing comes probably from a copywriting background where people will say, oh, like the offer is more important than the copy. But I'm always thinking about the offer. And if you think about the campaigns that I've used as examples, what's the offer of a creator fellowship? Well, it's $2,000. It's a pretty good offer for someone who, who needs $2,000. It's not a very good offer for someone in a, um, in a B2B setting, like where you're selling it really to enterprises. That feels like it's going to be a little bit trickier. So who are you giving the money to? Are you giving it to the organization, to the marketer, like I, or to the person within the company? Like, I'm not sure how that plays out exactly for a creator who's going to use the money specifically on their business, that's huge, right? You're funding something that they really care about. So it's a great offer. For the Creator Economy Awards, for trying to get in touch with all of these, these journalists and influencers and people like that, the offer of typical cold outreach is what is it exactly? Write about me, please. That's not even an offer. Like implicitly you might be trying to say like, if you write about me, it will be appealing to your audience. And that's just not that good still. Here's an award apropos of nothing is a much better offer that's going to get someone to pay attention to you. I'm So I'm thinking about that a lot with the friendliness rankings. That offer is a little bit trickier. It's probably, we will reach out to the, the same journalist influencer contacts. I'm not sure how compelling it is to them necessarily, but we don't need them to write a whole piece about it or, or any of that sort of thing. We will go to people and say, in this very specific comparison that you have, uh, this is the specific way that this platform is more friendly than that one. We're building this list of people who have these types of comparisons, and it's not even the ones that are involving Podia necessarily. Like we'll do two Podia competitors pitched against each other. We just want to get this idea of friendliness into the market. Um, so a little bit trickier from the offer perspective, but still there's this twist of thinking, right? What am I providing? I'm, I've created something new. No one else has a ranking of how friendly companies are, and you can look at all the factors. So um, it is inherently a little bit more interesting and something that someone could think about and very consistent with what we want to do as a brand. When, when I think at the campaigns that have not worked, it is either because of execution or because the offer was terrible. Like we did a whole like holiday campaign once at Acta Campaign that had like a bunch of influences involved. And it was like cute in the sense that we had automation recipes and we were getting influencers to give their actual recipes and you could, you know, do all that kind of stuff. No one wanted the influencer food recipes. That who cares, right? It was nice to get the relationships with the influencers and the design of the thing looked really nice. And we had a webinar with Ann Hambly at the end of it, uh, that was sort of fun, but ultimately I think that underperformed because it didn't have a good offer. It was just us talking about stuff. So that's what I would think about. What I would tell folks to think about is what's your offer. And you can be really creative here. You can flip scripts, you can invent offers. We invented the creator economy award. No one told us we could or couldn't do that. We invented this index, this ranking system. An offer can be anywhere as long as it taps into something that your audience wants. So hunt down something that people really care about and they will pay attention to it. You can check him out. His words regularly, Diamond Pencils, Substack. I'll put it in the show notes alongside everything cool that's happening at Podia. Benjamin, this was phenomenal. I learned a ton. I'm sure everyone out there did too. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and coming on the show. Lots of fun. Happy to be here. 
That is one of my favorite conversations in recent memory. I could riff on topics, marketing, content, growth, you name it, related with Benjamin all day. Go check out his stuff. Go check out what they're doing at Podia. Really, really good product. If you like what I'm doing over here, keep coming back and tell your friends. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back more Modern Day Marketer next week. <laughs>